I found this site that's like a sort of a genetic testing startup site called MyHeritage. They're kind of close to like 23andMe. And the reason why it got forwarded to me, not because I'm looking for those types of services, but they offer this new thing. They try to get people hooked in. You can upload old photos of loved ones and they'll use AI to animate them. Bringing to life your family history like never before, says their website. (laughs) Why? Why would you want to do that? Are there any photos from your past that you would upload to animate them? I would probably upload something of maybe my grandfather on a horse. I want to see if it does the horse as well. Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode 213. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed, you can't see it, but if you had a photo of me, you can kind of animate it a little bit to make it look like I'm actually sitting there talking to you on the other side of the microphone. (laughs) Or we could just do Zoom or something. (laughs) Exactly. Either one. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, spending another few minutes with us. We certainly appreciate the support. If this is your first time, welcome. Appreciate you tuning in and checking out the show. This is Touchpoint. I'm Reed. That's Chris, as we mentioned. And you can find out more about us. You can find out more about the show or this episode that you're listening to over at our website, touchpoint.health. While you're there, you can check out some of the other shows on the network and other show hosts that are on the network. But nose around there, you can actually type in the search bar if there's any topic that you might be thinking of, find other episodes or previous episodes that maybe were done. Uh, If you can't find what you're looking for, let us know. We'd love to do an episode uh, around a topic of interest or interview somebody that you think we should uh, have on the show, another expert or have some other expertise on the show. While you're there, sign up for the TPS reports, a weekly email. Comes out every Monday morning, has five articles aggregated by our show host, keep you up to date on what's going on in the industry. So let's pause here for just one second while you go subscribe to the show, and then we'll be, uh, we'll be right back. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you.
Today, Reed, we're going to be talking about a trend that we're seeing that has been around for a while, I would say. We've talked about it before, but everything that's happening today within health systems, or at least many of the health systems that I know of and the one and the one that I work for now, what we're all facing is uh, communicating around vaccinations and COVID vaccinations. And in just in general, you know, over- overarching communications to our marketplace. Are you seeing some of the same stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly, you know, we've done some of the studies and whatnot over the last year uh, over at Gerard, but it continues to be of heightened importance and kind of top of mind for everybody. You know, we're coming up on the one year mark. We're closing in now that we're in the month of March as we record this of talking about this for a really long time. Absolutely. And we've gone through phases. I mean, at the beginning, we were communicating about how our, our hospitals are closing, going remote. There was the telemedicine Bursts that occurred, continuing ongoing conversations about public health, safety, wearing your mask, etc. Through the summertime, and as we near towards you know the end of last year and into now, it's all focusing on vaccine appointment communications and and other things like that. And I found that you know even with the work that I'm doing at, at the organization I'm with now, it really has become top of mind to us. And and the other day, our chief marketing officer and myself, we were talking and we were saying, we are now as a marketing team, looking at patient communications as one of the major things that we're going to be doing moving forward. I mean, it's very true. You know, this has set the stage or kind of forced us down a track of thinking about this and maybe changing the way we do things a little bit. And we've talked about this. I don't know if we ever just go back to exactly what we were doing before. As we think about this, we we actually talked about the subject of marketing versus communications or supplementing communications quite a while ago, over three years ago, back in December of 2017. This is sort of a trend that maybe we can we could talk about, like how how the current state is sort of propelling us down this path. For those that have listened or uh, know me, uh, know that I, I originally got into healthcare as the director of marketing communications for a hospital in, in Texas in 2003, I believe it was, 2003. And it's interesting to think back, right? Because really three things were on my plate. So I was the director of marketing and communications. But I was also over patient experience, the programmatic part, not the actual patient experience, but programmatically that initiative, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I had marketing communications and then the PX work. And those are all three very different things uh, from a skill set perspective, but yet they are really hard to divorce from each other. Very hard to divorce from one another. To that end, why don't we take a second, like we like to do sometimes, to kind of mm-hmm. reorient around the differences between marketing and communications. We found an old, a little bit older article, and quite frankly, it came from an unusual source, the Houston Business Journal. A person who is a guest contributor, she's a marketing and communications professional, actually took the time to outline the differences between marketing and communications. And it kind of resonated with us as we were reading through this. So let, let's let's click through it a little bit. When talking about marketing, everybody points to the consumer or the customer, right? You know, the customer's always right, the customer's king, you know, that kind of thing. But they talk about the fact that marketing is a vital component of an overall business plan for for an organization or an entity, right? And it really focuses or has that customer as the center. Everything's focused on the customer. 
you're trying to attract or retain or sell to or whatever, right? That's that's the point of your activity or your day-to-day as a marketer. There's a lot of things in the marketing plan when you think about that. Like you're looking at competitive analysis, you're doing maybe market research, industry trends. There's a lot of stuff involved in marketing, but ultimately, right, it's it's like focusing on whatever that customer may be and making that customer the king of your marketing, so to speak. Whereas communications is maybe a little bit different, right? I mean, it's the, it's the, the art of telling a story uh, or communicating information, you know, delivering information. So it doesn't necessarily have to focus on the customer, right? Or the consumer. But communications plans, they say, uh, advance the marketing effort in a lot of cases. And they do that through that, you know, development of the messaging, the compelling messaging. So, you know, this is how you entice people, I guess, to buy those services or those products. But they say here that, you know, while it is sort of a component of a marketing plan, it also is a strategic endeavor unto itself. You need to understand those customers and you need to, you know, spend time to either interview them or conduct surveys to develop the right messages. It looks a lot around that messaging component of it, identifying the best ways to tell the story and the best, in many cases, the best channels in which to tell the story. You know, the the channels is an interesting one. Um, I think that is where a lot of this starts to overlap, right? Because if you think about marketing, you know, you think about personas and, and actual mediums that you're you know using for outreach and things like that. So then there's this role called the marketing communications that kind of tie them together or Marcom. In the article, she points out that a sophisticated suite of marketing communications not only shares your story, but is designed to influence customers to make a decision and, you know, either buy a product or a service or use your services or whatever it might be. You know, it's a little bit more uh, a mishmash of the two coming together. It's interesting. Like you can just go Google around and it's hard to find articles where they don't talk about marketing and communications. I mean, you have marketing, you have the five P's of marketing uh, and you have communications. And I'm not saying you can't find articles about just one or the other, but in a lot of cases, they want to talk about marketing communications or marketing and communications. And there are now more and more tactics and strategies that are kind of coming out of quote unquote marketing communications that feel a little bit like they're, they're doing both. Think about things like uh, content marketing, which is creating a compelling content that resonates with your audience and tells a good story, but in a way to kind of drive it down a, a marketing journey, so to speak. Infographics, photography, video, social media is a great example of an entire platform that kind of does marketing communications at the same time. Particularly if you tie in like digital advertising into it or, or Facebook advertising or whatever. You can go on a little bit here to say, and we mentioned it earlier about, you know, communications isn't necessarily about the customer, but they talk about the fact that while marketing plans are specifically about the customer, communications may cast a little bit of a wider net. Um, so you're looking at other other stakeholders. And <clears throat> I know semantics a little bit, right? I mean, we talk about the consumer, it could be employees or it could be uh, physicians or you know whoever it is, volunteers, et cetera, that's part of your organization. 
But where do government officials fall or, um, you know, other public entities or, you know, those types of things? I think that's where the communications piece gets to be a little bit, a little bit different um, in, in how we kind of separate the two. I think the aversion to kind of putting them, grouping them together and even saying like outreach to our government relations teams, right? That that is a marketing effort because there is this aversion to the term marketing. Marketing implies there's some kind of sale involved, that it's kind of supporting sales almost. Whereas if you think about, you know, and we've talked about this before, marketing can address different types of things as well. Like branding, is branding a communications or a marketing tactic. I would argue that it's both, but it typically falls under the marketing team and there's brand marketers. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, multi-level marketing, whole different deal. (laughs) Whole different deal. (laughs) And Chris, I'm not saying you you have to sign up anybody underneath (laughs) you, but I mean, if you're already buying detergent, I mean, wouldn't you like to get it cheaper? <laughs> that's that's amazing. It's it's so true, right? I mean, I, I think a lot of people do kind of go to rush down that path of marketing. Is that's what it is, right? It's about hustling. It's about getting people in. Whereas it's not lost on me that as a marketer myself, I'm not a sales guy. I'm a marketer, and, you know, and I have this aversion to sales. It's so interesting. <laughs> yes. Uh, believe me, I've sold copiers. I know the difference between sales and marketing at this point. <laughs> but to your point, though, marketing is a little more slanted towards the ROI of, of the business, right? It's a more of a financial piece, at least in most people's minds, whereas communication is like, listen, I'm just, I'm just don't kill the messenger, right? I mean, just I'm just telling you stuff. Buy it. Don't buy it. I don't really care. Like That's <laughs> kind of the... You know, it's kind of where we see these two land in most cases. Well, if you've referenced back to our previous podcast from last week, right? As much as I like to think about marketing being about ROI, in many cases, marketing is about a different type of success measurement, not necessarily ROI. And I would say that any communication strategy has some sort of success measurement built into it. So now we might be going down the semantic argument here, right? <laughs> Yeah, we've talked ourselves in a complete circle. We kind of painted the, the picture here that communications and, and marketing are interrelated. And we're definitely moving more and more towards a world where there is grayness between these disciplines. And that's not to say we don't have marketers versus communicators on, you know, in our staff or in, in our responsibility. But you know what's interesting, Reed, is in all of the things that we're invested in now, this is a time where it's really bubbling up to the surface. And so after the break, why don't we come back and talk a little bit about how the current state in our pandemic is dramatically impacting how marketing and communications are playing together and supporting one another in our uh, communications efforts. And we'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, 
Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right, so before the break, we talked a little bit about the marking communication juxtaposition, or really there's not one, I guess, but how it is pulled together in most cases, whereas a lot of times as you talk to professionals in the space, they don't necessarily consider themselves a marketing and communications professional, right? I mean, a lot of times it's, you know, they're a marketing professional or they're a communications professional. And we know that in this particular stage of where we're at with our public health crisis, there is a lot of outreach that we're doing as health systems related to the vaccine. And as I mentioned before, as we talked about before, we're working on getting people to vaccine appointments at our hospitals. Maybe we're communicating about just vaccine hesitancy in our marketplace, trying to get people that are maybe uh, not uh, being served by the current vaccine efforts, bringing them into uh, a place where they feel comfortable to, to take a vaccine. There's a lot of this going on. And not surprisingly, Who's at the helm of all of this? In many cases, it's the marketers themselves that are driving this significant communication outreach effort. They really are. I was sitting here trying to think as you were talking, if I could think of another instance since I started working, since 2003, since I took that job in a hospital, that we had a bigger role. Uh, And I don't mean a bigger role like, you know, did you have a more important initiative at your local facility or your organization or something like that that you were in charge of? Or Because there's a lot of those, right? We rebranded something, we acquired, you know, there's all kinds of things that you've done over the years, I'm sure, as as a professional. But as an industry, I'm trying to think, like, what would be another good example? Again, some regional things I can think of like, 9-11, 9-11, although that was probably a little bit more national, but really impacted you know, regionally uh, in a different way. Other natural disasters like a um, Katrina, for example, primarily Gulf Coast region, you know, down, down south part of the U- U.S. or whatever. But, but this is probably the first time, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I, but I can't think of another thing that more evenly impacts what we're doing. I would agree with you 100%. It feels like this is completely different, and we're showing up in completely different ways. And we get it, right? We we understand that this outreach communications around vaccine, uh, vaccine safety, vaccine appointments, everything that we're doing indicates that this is a traditional communications effort, yet it's got a heavier tinge of marketing on top of it, because it's going to, it involves using marketing, sophisticated marketing strategies in order to best reach these audiences. There's nothing more that kind of reinforces that. When I I looked at the American Hospital Association's COVID-19 Vaccine Communications Toolkit, and I'm looking at it, and they actually outline six things that reads right out of a marketing strategy playbook. Yeah, it really does. So let's let's rattle through those real fast. So the first one is develop the uh, vision and goals for the communication plan. That makes sense, right? Vision and goals. Vision and goals. I think it, we, we joke about it all the time. That always should be the start of what you do. 
Then they go into identifying the audiences. Now let's talk about identifying the audiences. In this particular case, when we talk about vaccine outreach, what we're talking about is identifying not only those audiences of, let's say, all those patients in your patient portal that you can communicate to, but now you have to start to identify audiences that potentially are vaccine hesitant and develop personas around those audiences. And maybe say that if we're reaching out to a particular subset, could be their gender or their race, it could be in a community that's far away from care or whatever it might be. Now we're creating, they, they're making recommendations to create sophisticated personas, which that's a marketing thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, create a messaging framework. Makes sense. I mean, you're going to need to do that, certainly, right? And messaging framework that feels like a communications tactic, right? That you you create, like, what? how are you going to talk to people? What the language? What is the compelling story, et cetera? And that leads really into that effective messaging. And when they talk about effective messaging now, it's like mapping the messaging framework to your personas, that, again, is a very much a marketing-related activity that we do. We've been thinking about it traditionally, Reed, in our case. Let's say we're trying to target women above the age of 45 for a particular women's care program as opposed to women under the age of 45, right? Different messages. That's it's very much a marketing conversation that we're having that we're doing now in a communications outreach. What about women that are actually 45? <laughs> They're not under or over, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean, I, certainly, uh, yeah, makes a, makes a ton of sense. So you have, you, you have your messaging framework, effective messaging, uh, determining the, the best ways to reach your target audiences. So we talked about mediums, uh, and things like that earlier. Here they're going one step further, Reed. They're saying, analyze where the potential customer might be. In particular audiences, like do some very targeted communications. Even American Hospital Association has suggested like doing advertising to reach certain audiences that may potentially not be getting your message around social media. These are some of the examples they bring forward. That's marketing. It absolutely is. And then you look at the last thing they mentioned here about tracking success or the metrics, analytics of it all. What we're tasked with typically. Yeah, tracking success measurements, right? In our minds as marketers, I don't know about you, but when I start thinking about this, here we are communicating to all of our patients about vaccine appointments, etc. The, the whole time I'm thinking, and maybe this is wrong of me to think, but how can I convert these people into maybe interested in getting additional information from us not related to vaccines? How can I, quote unquote, cross-sell or upsell, again, you know, using those words, those terms very carefully here, but how can I get them to be part of an ongoing nurturing campaign for, for our health system moving forward? Is that a success measurement? Is that something we want to look at? Sure, we want to look at some of those things. So it's a very classic case, or not a classic, an unprecedented case of where communications efforts need the help of marketing to support it. During what some would say is an unprecedented time. <laughs> it is an unprecedented time. And everything from this pandemic seems like we're learning something new again. Go back three years into our podcast annals here and find that episode. I think you and I were actually advocating for this that many years ago. But now of all, you know, of all times, this is a really great time in which to take advantage of it. 
And this kind of leads to the very last article that we'll we'll talk about quickly before we go to the, the really great interview you've done, which is an article entitled Lessons from the Pandemic on Adding a Personal Touch to Your Customer Experience. Okay, now we're going to weave in experience. Uh-oh. This came from CustomerThink.com. Great website for those of you who care about customer experience. And a, a gentleman by the name of Adetoy Agassi, founder and CEO of RightCon. And so he actually has written this opinion piece about what we can learn from the pandemic and how this can impact our ongoing marketing and communications. We talked initially about the necessitated turn to digital. I don't know if I've heard anybody mention it or, or frame it quite that way. But certainly with with the need to turn to digital because of the pandemic, uh, it became more apparent, they say, that brands need to be intentional and innovative uh, in migrating, ensuring that personal touch is not lost in their e-channels, right, of meeting these customers where they may be. They go on to say that Forrester did an analysis of consumer experience index data to see which of the three dimensions of customer experience quality matters most to customers now right, in this particular time. And emotions turned out to be the top factor across 17 of 18 industries studied. So customer emotions matter the most at this particular point in time of the pandemic. That's interesting, right? You mentioned Forrester's analysis of this. Well, Forrester also has a customer emotion matrix, a lot to say. Anyway, it further showed, however, that the customer's high intensity, positive emotional experiences advance share of wallet for brands. Oh, now we use the term share of wallet and all the communicators listening in right now probably tuned out, right? They said, we're not interested in share of wallet. Share wallet. The point here, though, is this is positive emotional experiences. The author of this article goes on to say that the three lessons from the COVID pandemic is really reinforcing the fact that we need to add a personal touch to our brand's customer experience. And so let's go through those three really quickly. The first one is creating memorable experiences. I love it whenever we use terms like that because yes. it's like, what does that mean? <laughs> you Is that know, good even. I'm not even sure that's a good thing. But they say here that memorable experiences ling- linger long after they are over and can leave a lasting impression. So far, I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad experience. At least right. it's memorable. Uh, yeah, I mean, they definitely leave a lasting impression. <laughs> but really, the positive ones arise when you go as a brand, go an extra mile to serve the customer, ensuring that they have a great experience. And they say in a pre-pandemic world, brands could rely heavily on physical ways to look, like build those experiences, you know, and they refer to like the hospitality industry. But then they say that in today's world, the most innovative brands are infusing a thrill and allure, allure within their digital platforms. Well, I mean, you think about like the Apple retail store and some of those, like that's what came, came to mind when I, when I first like heard that or read that. You know, they spend a lot of time, effort, energy, money, making those stores very specific, the way they're laid out, the way they're designed, you know, all of those types of things, right? Uh, Second on the list, ensure adaptive communications. So they say since the onset of the pandemic, families, businesses, and individuals have to uh, remain uh, continuously adaptive to changing times. Tomorrow, like who knows what happens tomorrow, right? So as lockdowns begin, curfews, curfews turn back, et cetera, I mean, I you know, we had all this like start, stop, start, stop, right? Just 
even in our personal lives, not just with uh, our jobs at hospitals, for example. But they say that it's imperative that the brands come in and, and provide some level of steady and adaptive communications with their customers. So digital channels obviously make this effective. It's very efficient, certainly. You know, giving room for brands, they say, to adopt unique approaches to ensure uh, their communications are the best for their customers. And I think when I think about adaptive communications, I think about things like, you know, knowing your customer, personalizing, marketing automation, you know, all that stuff. Very much marketing stuff. The last point he says here is adding value with insight. Data and insight remain key to improving customer experience management. He, he puts forward that due to the uncertainty of where we're currently at, brands could be tempted to run off-the-mill strategies to keep up with the mom- moment without ensuring that they actually fit within their needs of their customers. So you have to think about this in a lens of like using the data and insights that whatever experience you're creating, you want to leverage that to know your customer better. Think about, again, back to this patient vaccine outreach that's being done, knowing what languages people are wanting to, re- to receive their communications with can be tremendously important for ongoing communications with those audiences, if you think about it. Just that one little data point there becomes very important. And in our market, we were thinking that one language had more of a prevalence than others. And what we're finding is that a lot of the people responding to our messages in different languages are preferring one language over the other, one that we did not think was number one on our list. So now we have to rethink everything that we do from here on out from a marketing communications perspective. Well, I think this is a good opportunity to talk a little bit about the the interview today. I, I had a chance to sit down uh, with Tim Stewart. He has, has been at Girard for some years. He's a vice president. You'll hear more about this, but a vice president there at Girard and, and really works with a lot of our large clients around crisis and communications type work, issue navigation, things like that. And so obviously he's been very busy over the last year and just talking about the evolving role of, of communications and kind of what it means for us as, as uh, marketers and communicators within our respective organizations. So I appreciate his time. And uh, after this break, we'll, we'll jump in and hear a little bit from Tim. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Export portion of the podcast. I am joined today by Tim Stewart, one of my fellow Jaridians. Slow day for experts, I guess. (laughs) No, never, never, never. Uh, Tim and I work together at Gerard, and Tim is also a vice president at Gerard. He works specifically uh, in our National and Academic Medical Center practice uh, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So maybe just a little bit about your background before we jump in talking about vaccines today. I know you, you've been at Gerard for some years, but maybe uh, give everybody a little bit of color on your expertise and kind of where you spent your career. Happy to. I've been working with Gerard for coming up on six years, like you said, in the academic and national health systems practice of late, working with large regional and academic medical centers across the country. Before that, I spent a number of years with the Illinois State Medical Society, so like the AMA, but on a state level, working with the docs. So switched from docs to hospitals halfway through. There you go. 
So it's not news to anybody. We've uh, had a pandemic going on for some time now, and uh, we at Gerard certainly have uh, spent a fair amount of hours in and around this topic initially with COVID communications, and then we're turning off electives and we're turning back on electives, and then fast forward ahead, and we've kind of moved away from the COVID-related communications into the vaccine related communications. And so I thought it'd be interesting if we could talk a little bit about that and kind of what we're seeing. You know, our listeners are predominantly marketing communications professionals at hospitals, healthcare systems, provider organizations, kind of what we're seeing, what they're dealing with. I know we've done some surveying now three times over the last year. I'm kind of seeing, you know, what we're what we're seeing kind of come around. So maybe talk a little bit about initially just where we find ourselves. Like what, what is today look like? for communicators as it relates to the vaccine. I think we're at an interesting point in the vaccine rollout from a health system perspective. A couple months ago, when we first were getting the vaccines, the first wave for our clients was internal. And that's, of course, a a pretty heavily adoptive group, uh, people who are closest to healthcare. I mean, there, there are certainly resistors. We've all seen you know, the nurse on Instagram who's like, COVID isn't real or whatever, but uh, those are few and far between. (laughs) The, the, The healthcare professionals are likelier to be adopting the vaccine. And so that was the first way for our clients was, okay, we get, we got the internal crowd. How do we get them? And, but that, that's a pretty receptive group. And then the next group is also pretty receptive, which is People over seventy-five, people over sixty-five, people who are feel who have lived the last year feeling sort of most acutely concerned about getting it and what it would mean for them. The last couple of months have, at least for me, sort of tricked my brain into thinking, okay, this is something that people are really into now. People are like, because there's been scarcity, and it's been like every you know a lot of people that I know, a lot of people that we talk to are like, well, God, I wonder when I really love to get it by May so I can go golfing. Um, I would love to, you know, people who are connected to healthcare in some way are counting down the time until they can get it. But from what we saw in the survey you mentioned, the number didn't move from August to January. It's like 54% are interested and 46% or so aren't. And I think we've seen that maybe 60-40 and other national polls. So we're pretty quickly going to go from scarcity in the vaccines into abundance. And, and how do we convince resistant people that this is good for them and for all of us? Maybe we're just too close to it. And that's why we thought everybody was like all gung-ho for this thing. <laughs> you hear the vocal minority regardless of topic, especially online, I should say. So you just assume like everybody's lined up, waiting their turn. Well, you know, when we first started talking about this in July, August, I was like, this is going to be a nightmare. You know, trying to get enough people to adopt them in order to get to herd immunity. People don't like vaccines as is. People freaked out about putting masks over their faces. Like this is a this is something you're putting into your body. I think this uh, this is gonna be terrible. And then the efficacy rate was so much higher than anyone thought. And there have been so few like bad outcomes from people actually getting the vaccine that I really did think that would move the needle. I thought it was gonna be like it's sixty percent effective. And some people are dying when they get it, but you should get it anyway. I thought that was going to be the landscape we'd be working in. Instead, we're at like 90% effective. Nobody's having really bad side effects. 
And yet people are still not convinced. Why is that, do you think? I mean, do you think it's the actually the vaccine or do you think it's just the idea that it's not going to happen to me or I'm just better off not getting it for some reason or I'm, I'm hedging my bets towards herd immunity <laughs> or something? For sure, there's some piece of all of that. But I, I can... I could understand being my age, coming up on 40, and but feeling like, okay, this really, if I get it, I'm just getting a little sick. It's not a big deal. Anyone younger than me probably feeling the same way. But why bother? Why would I rush a vaccine into my body regardless of what they're saying about it? I don't think it requires considerable magical thinking to understand why someone might go, I don't know. It's just not, it's not for me. Switching gears a little bit to the marketing and communication professional, what does this mean to them in their kind of day to day? To this point, you, you mentioned the you know initial onset was, hey, we want our folks internally to get the vaccine, and let's make sure that they know about it, and let's let's highlight. I mean, we've all seen the Instagram post of you know somebody getting the shot, and let me let me show you my card, you know, kind of a thing, and that that was the initial message was you know, we're leading the charge. We're good examples. Also, this is a safe place you can come to because we're all getting the vaccine. Uh, and now to your point, uh, we're all of a sudden going to run up on this as like, we've got doses sitting around, you know, kind of a thing. So I, how, how do we combat that? Yeah. I mean, I think from a straight, like marketing communications perspective, there's a ton of low hanging fruit there and it's the, the Instagram and it's the, I'm getting this for my aunt Sally. I'm getting it for my grandma. I'm getting it so I can hug my dad again. Um, that sort of thing. Like the, that's all good. And I think, I think that is, I don't mean to just skip past that because I think it is important. I think it's important that people normalize the vaccine as much as possible. I do think that the next wave of it in part fits in to, to a piece of broader conversations that we've had over the last year, because I, I think that we know that communities of color have been disproportionately impacted by the, the virus and are also disproportionately resistant to getting vaccines for any number of really good reasons based in their experience of the medical system. It, it is an opportunity for, I think, health systems, marketing communications professionals to put our money where our mouth is in focusing on social determinants and health equity. Like, How do we actually and proactively reach out to these communities um, that we've been saying that we care about? Those are the groups that I think are going to be the most crucial to getting over the hump over the next couple of months. And so I, I think how do we find sincere pathways into those communities where we maybe haven't focused that much in the past? So do our job. That's what we should do. <laughs> like, yeah, much. It, if the expert session was supposed to have a silver bullet, I'm, I apologize. <laughs> but I mean, I think that's interesting, right? Because we talk, and again, I'm a marketing guy uh, historically. And so I think a lot about personas and targeting and, like the message campaigns and the messages and all these types of things. And, you know, I can get kind of lost in the technology and the methodology and some of that kind of stuff. And so it's interesting that, you know, 
really some of this comes full circle as in like, yeah, I mean, like here, here's the targeting. <laughs> here's, here's the message. Like, you know, we need to be doing these things. Um, and so I think it's an interesting place we should spend more time, certainly. Well, and also who are, so who are the effective communicators in that space? So if we build out our persona, we build out our tools and tactics. I think that the key part of this is who's the effective messenger who or what is the effective messenger particularly and not to broaden the scope out too much but given that we are in a sort of anti-institutional moment and that impacts a lot of hospitals and health systems is perceived to be sort of monoliths how do we how do we activate the right ambassadors and spokespeople who can who can drive these messages where they need to go that's a really good point. So the medium certainly is important, but you know, the person delivering the message or people or, you know, whatever that may be, uh, is interesting. So how, you know, how do we start figuring out who that is and what that looks like? I mean, we've always talked about historically and I've always told people as they've asked questions like, you know, we want more Twitter followers, you know, it's like, okay. I mean, to what end? Um, but people would much rather, follow, listen, engage with a person than a brand. I think that's logical for most folks when they say it out loud or or think about that. And so that's why I've always been a proponent for like an advocacy-based program where it's like, hey, we want to hear from doctor, therapist, nurse, dietitian, athletic trainer, those types of folks more than we want to hear from like some logo, like on, on Twitter, right? Where do we start? Like what programmatically, like how do we start having those conversations or figuring out who those people are? Like what, what's your suggestion? You know, I'm a marketing person or I'm a communications professional listening to this. When I get off of this uh, podcast, like what conversation do I go have? What question do I go ask? Who do I go connect with? To some extent, it is a number of the people that you've been talking to over the last year, you know, who are the people who have become COVID experts um, who you've been deploying in those settings. I, I also think that it's a matter of, to your point, hopefully we're not just starting the conversation. So hopefully that the, there's a way of thinking about this that is tapping into conversations we've been having. But if not, you know, the other piece of this, I think, is looking outside of your walls into um, community leaders and and who those people are. It gets down to really targeting areas and communities and determining within that community, whether it's you know a church leader, if it's a FQHC, how do we partner? Because I think there's a component of this that is and if you want to get like a little cynical about it, there's there's one group of this that you can use as patient capture and the you know you you could be using twitter and the online brand and the flashy campaign and that could be your front door for patients that you want in there's another group here that is kind of testing our commitment to true public health and and truly addressing public needs and so i think that what we need to be doing the latter and probably in ways that are totally different than the former that are not to your point, a brand talking on Twitter. And it, and it really is using community leaders, community resources in different ways. I think a lot of our clients have, and, and a lot of hospitals and health system have those partners, but haven't really activated them in this sort of way before they have a relationship in 
some fat form or fashion, but haven't really activated them as um, ambassadors into the community. I think that's such a good point. I mean, we sponsor the 5K. <laughs> We've done those things. We've been good corporate citizens in our local communities, which is great. I wonder how many conversations are happening outside the walls of the hospital with like these types of leaders and those types of folks, or if it's just an internal task force and we're talking about the stuff we've talked about over the last year. We can also freely acknowledge that it's not like our marketing communications people are sitting around with a ton of extra time. Like I, I, I recognize that this is, this is like, you know, the 10th thing on the to-do list. But I, I do think it's an element of the work that uh, is important for a vaccine rollout, but also is important for as we look ahead and look to the next chapter of what healthcare delivery looks like. And there's more attention paid to social determinants of health and health, issues of health equity. These partnerships and the, the conversations that you start now I think are going to have far reaching positive impact in, in public health. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. And, and I think, you know, uh, we've mentioned this and of course we've talked about it on the show previously, Chris and I have the uh, different studies and surveys that we Gerard have done over the last, I'll say we, I didn't really have a lot to do with it, but uh, we over the last year have done the trust level with these clinicians, doctors, nurses is still very high. Right. So I think we still have an opportunity. So again, it's finding those right people and then using them maybe to, you know, engage and activate, uh, like you said, these community leaders or these other advocates um, that can kind of help amplify the message. Yeah. I mean, doctors and nurses obviously are still at, at the top, the, the very, very top of the most trusted people in America right now. So how do we how do we leverage those people? ideally in partnership with community leaders in order to dispel myths and and increase awareness of how the vaccine works both on an individual basis and you know across communities and I know we've talked about the fact that we're going to have a surplus um, I think a lot of communities and a lot of people are still trying to figure out well that's super but I still am not allowed to get one yet or I can't get one or I'm it's some um, unknown point in line. What, what is our role or our responsibility as communicators uh, to those folks? I mean, how do we, how do we try to help that, that population? Yeah. I mean, this is another one where I'm going to have like really brilliant, insightful advice, which is like, <laughs> just tell them what's going on. I, I think that there's been, I, I've seen um, a wide range of levels of, of communication on this from health systems and it, the most puzzling to me is are the the number of health systems that have just said, you know, we don't really know what the process is going to look like because it's dependent on the states, it's dependent on the federal government. So we're not going to say anything. When what you should be saying is, we don't really know what the process is going to be because of the states or because of the federal government, but we will tell you. Like you need to set a tone that people can expect to hear from you on this, regardless of what you know today. It is it is the thing that most people that people are most interested about right now in healthcare and probably in general. And so if you're not weighing in, at least with giving people, setting people an expectation for this is how you can expect to hear from us. You can expect a phone call. You can expect an email. You can, you'll get a notification. However, um, people just want to know what to expect, even if you can't tell them when to expect it. 
Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think the unknown piece is is the problem. You even take, let's just talk about something entirely different. Uh, you apply for a job and you don't get it, right? It's worse that the company never communicates with you again and you just eventually assume that you didn't get the job, right? Versus someone calling you and say, hey, listen, appreciate your time. Uh, we've decided not to move forward after talking internally. Well, I mean, that's not really a message you want. But it's better than like the former, which is just like, I don't know what happened. Should I, should I call them again? Is it weird for me to call them or? Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. But a lot of times in that same scenario, the employer will think, oh man, I, that's a pain. I don't know that I want to call people and break up with them. And like that just, that's just, whew, you know, that's going to be a hard conversation to have. And you know, what if they ask this question or what if they say this? Yeah. So, so we ended up just not doing anything. So this, I think is very analogous to that of just like, look, I get that you don't know anything, but you need to tell people that you don't know anything. Right. And I I certainly get, you know, from executive leadership on down to throughout the organization, you don't often communicate. We don't know. That's a, that's not a message that we we're often putting out there because it doesn't feel like, you know, what, what the, the, the position of your large health system should be. But in this case, the vacuum is much worse than, than saying, we don't know what, what exactly it's going to look like because for right now, and this is something we've talked about, I don't see a lot of people blaming health systems for not having vaccines. I don't see a lot of people who are like focusing on where the health systems are. I think they're going to though. Once once there are plenty of them, I think people are going to be wondering about it. But right now I think everyone kind of gets the sense that all right, this has been kind of bungled and the states all have different policies. It's a confusing situation. Like I I don't feel like people are putting the blame on large regional health system. So I think it's totally reasonable in that space to say you're right. We don't know what's going on. But if you're 45 and you have comorbidities, here's where you would fall on our list of priority. And and we don't know when that'll be, but we'll we'll tell you when those other dominoes fall. Man, that is such a great point though. And I've never thought about it from that perspective of the fact that like we're not used to telling people we don't know. You know, we're made we're we're a system made up of a bunch of experts and expertise, and we're used to diagnosing and telling people things, right? I mean, that's what people went to school all these years to do. And we're we're experts. People come to us for resources and answers. And but what I'm hearing though is we're a communications professionals, so we need to be communications professionals. So we need to communicate, tell people what's going on. Whether it's good news, bad news, it, it doesn't really matter. Understand that we have another wave coming, not wave of COVID necessarily, although I don't really know that part. But with the vaccine, we're going to have a little bit of a change in message and kind of, uh, and we need to be thinking through what that means and not getting caught on our heels. Probably Uh, we need to kind of proactively have those conversations with our folks. And then ultimately, you know, have our folks that are well-trusted, these doctors, nurses, et cetera, carrying this message, be a part of the community, activate these leaders uh, in and around our organizations to try to try to carry that, that message forward. So, Man, this is awesome. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on and spending a few minutes. Thanks for having me. If people would like to follow up with you, uh, certainly they can go to the Gerard website. They can find you there on our team page and whatnot. But uh, 
I have a bio fact about an Oxford comma that people always comment on. So oh, you there you go. There. Okay. That's there, a there's good, your Easter egg. Te- yeah. There's your Easter egg. So go, go to the Gerard website, find him there. Anywhere else they can track you down? I'm uh, on the the LinkedIn site for the business professionals. I'm I'm there as well. I can't I can't responsibly advise anyone to follow me on Twitter, so I won't. Well, find Tim on the socials. We'll link to it in the uh, in the show description, and uh, certainly go check out his fun factoid about Oxford commas there on the Gerard website. So, Tim, thanks for coming on, and look forward to having you back in the future. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Special thanks to Tim Stewart for coming on the show. Uh, if you'd like to hear more from Tim, you can do that on one of our uh, other shows here on the network, uh, High Stakes, which is the podcast from Gerard. He and Kim Fox, one of our partners, uh, recently uh, did a cast together that's worth checking out. So you can do that over at gerardinc.com and uh, check that out. Mm-hmm. It's a great episode. Let's see here. Before we get to recommendations, uh, the TPS report. Uh, I would encourage you to go to our website, touchbone.health, sign up. Not only do you get the five articles of the week, there's also kind of a calendar of sorts towards the end of that. So it's mentioning the upcoming Mayo Clinic ShishMed Advanced Social Media Conference. Mm -hmm. It's got the dates in there for uh, the Healthcare Marketing Physician Strategy Summit, the Healthcare Internet Conference, ShishMed, both the in-person and the virtual conference. So anyway, all those dates are in there with links and all that kind of fun stuff. So we'll keep that stuff front in mind so you don't let it slip by you and look forward to hopefully seeing some folks virtually or in person this year. I'm looking forward to that. I miss seeing people. I think it should be good. Uh, okay, well, let's uh, let's do this. Let's do some recommendations before we uh, wrap up the show. What do you, uh, what do you got today? Read, I'm going to recommend a computer bag that I just recently purchased. I'm anticipating that in the near future that might be traveling again. I was doing some research. I even asked you for some ideas. And I actually landed on a company called Timbuk2. Timbuk and the number two.com is their site. What they do is they do a lot of bike messenger bags, but they also do backpacks and other types of things. What really drove me to it is not only I like the messenger biking messenger bag more as my computer bag. If you've known me, you probably see me lugging one of those around. The one thing I really liked about uh, this particular option is that you could get multiple different sizes. You could choose the right one that's right for you, but you could customize this with different panels. So you could create some really interesting dynamic looking bags using just their simple colors. So anyway, I went online, found it, built my own bag, kind of looked at it, redesigned it a couple of times, and finally said, this is the one I want to get, and uh, ordered it. And not a week later, my custom bag just got delivered today. And I love it. It's amazing. So if you're looking to replace, you know, if you have a messenger bag or you have a computer bag or whatever, I would strongly recommend to at least add this to your list of when you're researching, Timbuktu.com. Very cool. Yeah, that's a great bag line. And I, of course, I like bags and briefcases and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I don't have one of those, so I'm going to have to check it out. I am going to recommend something no one's going to buy unless uh, unless you really are a woodworker or something like that. But I recently got a set. Uh, there's a company called Craig, K-R-E-G. And they make a lot of great woodworking tools, pocket hole jigs, things like that. Um, and I got a set uh, of the PRS 3400 Precision Router Table Setup Bars. 
Hmm. So these are milled aluminum little bars. They come in a little case. There's seven of them that come in this little case. And what it is, is they're milled very specifically to be used to set up like your table saw or your router, things like that, different tools uh, in your shop to be a very specific size or dimension without having to like try to measure and like read a, read a tape measure for these little, little, uh, um, kind of small little gaps and things like that. So it has a bar that's an eighth of an inch, a little tab on it's an eighth of an inch. Then it goes three sixteenths, quarter, five sixteenths, three eighths, seven sixteenths and half inch bars. And so if you needed to trim, uh, or you wanted your router table set up to take five sixteenths of an inch, um, you could use this little bar uh, in that setup process. And again, not trying to measure uh, on a ruler or something and try to figure out how close you are to 516. Anyway, they're cool. They're milled out of aluminum. Anybody that likes things that are like precise and the precision aspect of them, they're really cool. They're cool little uh, aluminum bars that come in a little case. So Very yeah. cool. Good recommendation. Not that I have... <laughs> I don't have a lot of laving to do in the near future. Let's yeah, just put it that way. Yeah, well, you never know. You never know. Uh, they could probably be good for something else. I'm not sure what exactly, but um, <laughs> they're neat. All right. Well, hey, another great episode. Uh, again, if, if uh, we haven't heard from you, reach out to us online. You can find us, obviously, on Twitter. You can now find us on Clubhouse. I don't think we, I don't think we've mentioned that yet. We may do an upcoming episode, record it while we're actually on Clubhouse. So we'll see kind of how that goes. Absolutely. Uh, if you'd like to listen to us record live, so to speak. But yeah, check us out. Track us down LinkedIn, Twitter, Clubhouse, if you so choose. And I uh, would love to hear from you, whether that's topics we should cover, people we should interview, whatnot. Touchpoint.health is the website. Rate, review, subscribe wherever you happen to be listening. Tell a friend. Still the number one way people find out about us and the most effective way people find out about us. And we appreciate the support. So Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.